What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about financial literacy. And of course, we're talking about business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best foot forward and elevate. And before we introduce today's guest, my man Eric from Hunts Vegas, Alabama, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Hey, thanks, Corey. Thanks for the introduction. My spotlight for today is someone who we haven't heard of. I try to find people who you never heard of, but this is a sister we celebrate today. Our spotlight's gonna be on Latasha Harlins. Now, again, most of you don't know who she is, but she is important. Now, Latasha, back in 1991, at the ripe age of 15, Latasha went to her local Korean-owned food mart and never made it out. The store owner's wife, Soong Da-ju, mistook her for trying to steal a bottle of orange juice and a minor struggle insured. Now, Da-ju grabbed Latisha and ended up getting pushed to the ground. Da-ju then went and got her gun and pointed at Latasha. Latasha bends down, picks up the orange juice, places it on the counter, and as she walked away, to leave the store, Latasha shot her in the back in the head at about three foot distance, killing her immediately. Now, does he try to claim self-defense, but there were two eyewitnesses at the store's security camera that showed otherwise. Now, when they had to trial, the jury convicted Dashu and advised that the judge to go with the maximum sentence of 16 years for shooting this young lady. Do Daju walked away with 400 hours of community service five years probation, and only a $500 fine, as the judge said, through Ms. D's act appropriately, and her actions were justified. Now, Judge Judge Carlin states that Mrs. Du, who was, the, I guess, the Korean lady, was the victim. Natasha is the criminal that she was standing in front of her assailant and a store clerk, and she had not died. Now, the slaughter of Latasha Harlan is one of the major factors that initiated of the L.A. riots back in the day. We only hear about Rodney King, but she is the original Say Her Name anthem, that's what we say. So Tupac had an affinity for Latasha, and he even mentioned her name in several songs. He dedicated uh, in some of his songs with that kind of song, Yo, Keep Your Head Up, for Latasha. So today we want to say, Latasha Harlins, you are a pillar, baby girl, whether they realize or not. And today, you are our spotlight for today for Black Men Sunday. Now, Corey, back to you. Mm, okay. Eric, man, I swear you come in with them every week. And I appreciate that because, again, you know, a lot of people do the spotlights only for Black History Month. But like you said, we're doing it the full 365 days a year. So thank you again from Hunts Vegas, Alabama. Let's go on to introduce today's guest. We have Carlin Johnson. This brother's the creator of Building Black Wealth. That's a monthly financial column in the Orlando Times newspaper, which is Central Florida's award-winning African-American publication. You know, I got to put some base on with that. This brother has a bachelor's in finance from UCF. This brother's working on his business master's from UCF as well. And while at UCF from 27 to 2018, this brother was the executive board member of the year recognized by the UCF Black Student Union. This brother's known in Orlando circles when we talk about financial literacy workshops, when we talk about seminars. This brother came highly recommended. So without further ado, Carlin Johnson, welcome to Black Men Sundays, brother. How you doing? I'm good, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm here to talk 
finance. I mean, whatever it is that y'all got for me, I'm here to talk it. Let's do what it do. Off top, I have a lot of brothers. There's brothers that's listening right now that are business owners. What are good ways to build business credit? There are a lot of ways to build business credit. What I will say is from a baseline or foundation point, the best way to build business credit, um, similar to the personal FICO scoring model, is just making sure that whoever or whatever vendor that you have business credit cards with or any form of loans, that you make those payments all the time, no matter what. Payment history will always be the biggest factor that plays an important part in not only the personal FICO scoring model, also the business credit scoring model as well. So definitely making those payments on time. Having multiple trade lines or a diverse portfolio of business credit, they could be a, uh, a standard business credit loan, not necessarily a revolving business credit line. Um, yeah, including a business revolving credit line, making sure you have those diverse portfolio, in other words, and then, of course, just making sure you're making those payments. Literally the best way to build business credit. Hands down. What are some ways, because I've heard a lot of business owners say, listen, man, I got this business credit card because I had a brother on here like a few shows ago. He said, listen, if you want to get a credit score increase, you know, get some boxes, get some supplies for your business. So a lot of brothers did that. They were getting these credit increases in the first three months. Then they said when they, you know, had some sales, they bought more supplies. And they're like, listen, I haven't had a credit limit increase since that first one. So what are some ways as a business to get a credit limit increase on those cards? What I kind of mentioned earlier is that similar to the personal credit score model, what you do on the personal side can also be uh, a direct reflection of what you do on the business side. With that said, even if you have these business credit cards and you use them to buy supplies and paper or whatever it is that you decide you want to do with those cards, what any vendor or financial institution ultimately going to want to see is the business's ability to generate those sales or that revenue and generate that profit. And as long as you're showing that while still making those payments, eventually, um, they'll either increase it on their own or you may need to get back with them after six months to a year and say, hey, I want to increase my line because um, my business is really growing. And then once they look at your financials, which is an entire separate yet still encompassed within financial literacy itself, once they see that, then they'll be able to say, okay, we can give you an increase in your line of credit and move forward from there. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And you know, a lot of brothers, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, that's why I do this show, because you know, I've made mistakes and I'm just trying to get stuff right. But you know, when I'm coming off Christmas, I feel like I just been chiseling away at these credit cards trying to get my uh payments down. But for from your point of view, what are some good methods of paying down your credit cards? There is an individual out here, his name is Dave Ramsey. Um, quick question: have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey or anyone familiar with him? Oh, yeah. I think he's been mentioned a couple of times on our show. Yes, sir. Yeah, that man there. While I have my own qualms about this particular individual, one of his baby steps is the debt snowball method, which is literally, again, you can it can be applied on the personal side as well as the business side. Um, Essentially, what you'll need to do is outline all of the, since we're talking about business, any sort of business debts that you have or credit cards or anything and you look at which balance out of the balances, and we have multiple, that has the smallest amount 
and you chug away at, at that first. Then from there, despite interest rates, once you chug off that smallest one, then you move to the next biggest, you chug that off while still making the minimum or smallest payments, obviously the minimum on those particular balances on why you're making the aggressive on the next biggest balance. And then as long as you're doing that, you'll be able to pay off those debts. There's also another method that you could do too. So that was called the debt snowball method. There's actually another method called the debt avalanche method. The biggest difference between those two is that with Dave Ramsey's method, it doesn't consider the interest rates and the amount of interest that's being accrued on those balances that you have. But the debt avalanche method, rather, it's taken into consideration those interest rates and all of those things in which what that one is asking you to do in particular is that you make the most aggressive payments on the balance that has the highest interest rate first, pay that uh, off aggressively while still making the minimum on the other ones, and then move down to the next interest rate that's slightly smaller than the biggest one that you have. And what you'll ultimately see is the amount of money that you will save just paying on those balances and from the debt avalanche method. On the other side too, and then I hand the mic back to you, with Dave Ramsey's side, what you will get is a sense of fulfillment or encouragement that says, yo, I just paid off this particular debt. I'm ready to move on to the next one. We're going to keep it moving. Yet not really realizing the amount of money that you're either losing, depending on how, how those interest rates are, versus when you look at the debt avalanche man. And that's how you essentially pay off those debts. A lot of brothers say, listen, I'm not really worried about the interest rate long as it's it's available when I need it. But, you know, brothers say, listen, there's also a cost associated with borrowing money. I had rapper Quan on here. He said, listen, man, if you over 20 or 30 percent of your credit card verbatim, you playing yourself. As we talk about the cost of borrowing money, what's your perspective on that? Um, as we saw last year, interest rates have increased significantly. Um, even at the end of the year. And then just last, either last month or in between January 30th and that first few days of February, interest rates increased again by 25 basis points. We're still going to see that those interest rates go up again because the, the labor market came in a lot hotter than expected, meaning that economists were, were projecting that labor growth within the, the economy would at least rise or at least have a, a small amount of rise of, of maybe 120,000 plus people every month or something along those lines. Well, since for January, when that report came out, that we saw an increase of about 500 plus thousand people get new jobs, that's going to mean that inflation still hasn't done what it needs to do for the labor market which means interest rates are going to essentially continue to go up. So right now they're looking at an increase from 0.25 to 0.5, yet we don't really know how long that's going to go on until they begin to see the labor market slow down at the rate that it was kind of going last year. And then yet again, because it picked up significantly in the month of January, there's no telling how high interest rates are going to go. All of that to say the cost of borrowing is going to continue to go up um, they're looking at maybe until the middle of this year, um, maybe throughout the rest of this year, who knows? And if you are going to go out and borrow money or open up a new line of credit or any sort of personal loan or business loan, just expect that your interest rate 
is not going to be or may not be lower than several percent. It may be higher than several percent. And that's just the baseline with top tier credit right now. I feel like the stock market is kind of like Orlando's weather. It's like a roller coaster. It's 50 degrees yeah. when you wake up. I'm like, should I turn the heat on? I turn the heat on. I come home from work. It's like 90 degrees in the house. But I feel like a lot of brothers lost a lot of faith in the stock market. Like I remember 2020, everybody and their mom were just stocking this, you know, uh, chase this Robin Hood that. But now that, you know, the stock market's on this roller coaster, I'm hearing people saying, listen, it's safer to keep your money in your savings account. Yeah, what's your response to that? The safest route would be to keep your money in a savings account. I agree with that. And then on another note, if you're really looking to earn a lot more money than what you would typically see in a savings account, you have to play with how the market is going. A few weeks ago, the stock market was on the rise. Let me preface by saying all of last year, the stock market essentially tanked. In 2021, the stock market saw a huge increase in stocks all across because interest rates were really, really low. The government was decreasing the interest rates to the point where they were essentially near zero. And at that point, everyone is pouring in their money. As of last year, especially when the war on Ukraine began, you saw the stock market essentially tank significantly. Trillions of dollars gone. Um, and that's because interest rates have increased. So one thing that you can say if you haven't really seen what's happened is that if the government is increasing interest rates, the stock market is going to go down. If the government is decreasing interest rates, stock market is going to go up, um, meaning that everything is cheaper if interest rates are down, but everything gets more expensive if interest rates are going up. A few weeks ago, we saw the, the stock market increase significantly. Um, I think with the NASDAQ, it just hit over 12,000 a few weeks ago at that point. So if the NASDAQ has went up a, a few weeks ago and it hit 12,000 plus, that means that related to tech stocks, there were jumps, there were increases, a lot of different increases. And then when we saw the labor market come in and it mentioned that the the amount of people who were able to get jobs were 500,000 plus for the month of January. Well, now it was getting kind of shaky again because when the Fed came in, they said they saw a Powell's terms of disinflation near a period, meaning that once they increased interest rates all of last year and at the end of the year, what they saw from that report, it essentially said, okay, the labor market is literally going down at the pace that we would expect it to go down. And then you have that labor market go up by 500,000 in January. That means the Fed is not done. Meaning that because since the Fed is not done and they're going to continue to increase interest rates at whatever price height they set it at, you're going to see the stock market drift down again. So we just had a big rally a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden, as of this week or maybe the latter end of last week, you're going to see it go down and it may go down a lot more because inflation has not cooled yet. And until we see as a whole inflation cool, that's when we can see another rally in the stock market. All in all to say, it's all about risk and reward. And if you're looking to earn the most money, either keep your money in the stock market or buy while everything is low or is going back to being low. Or if you want to really play it safe, keep it in the savings account 
just keep in mind you're not going to earn as much as you will if you have your money in the stock market. Okay. Now, is it safe for brothers that put the money in in 2020, then they pulled it out once it crashed and they moved it to a savings account? Is that a smart move or not? Yes and no. It depends on how you look at it. If you still want to keep your money safe, um, despite that huge crash that we saw at the height of the pandemic in March of 2020, then you can continue to do that. Um, because again, as long as interest rates is going up, then the savings accounts, at least some, if not all of them, um, those interest rates have also increased too. That's what I'll say to that. I'm James from uh, Virginia. I appreciate you coming on, uh, Carlin. I always pose this question to, you know, financial advisors. What do you think would be the strategy to give someone, to give Black people in particular, the mental battle with money, like the behavior issues? Because I think for the most part, I believe that it's a lot of us that make good money, but we just don't really know how to go about spending our money, saving our money, and, you know, all the things, all the mental battles that go into dealing with money. So what would you say to someone to encourage them or what strategy would you give someone as far as, you know, facing that mental battle of, you know, just misbehaving with money? There are a lot of things I will say to that. The best strategy, and then I'll get into why, is to educate yourself on what you want your money to do for you and knowing that it's going to cost you something to be able to get your money to do what you wanted to do. When you start from the beginning, I, my first workshop that I did last year was about money values and influences. And believe it or not, and what I deem this to, to be found is true, how you grew up and what you seen as a child and as you continue to grow up throughout middle school, high school, and then your early life and maybe your twins or wherever you are in your, in your set life, all plays a, an important part on how you're going to value your money once it's in your hands. If you grew up in, um, similar to me, if you grew up in a place where credit is not good um, on the parent side, my bad, mom and dad or any other family members, or you saw people who did what they needed to do to get money, then because you saw all of those things, you either played into that or you told yourself you're not really going to play into that while also noticing that even if you don't want to be a part of what you saw growing up, you still don't really know what to do because all you all you saw growing up was the things that are that were around you, which look more like survival, if anything. And because you saw survival, all you're thinking about now is, oh, well, I'm just out here trying to survive. Well, I'm just out here trying to hustle. And based on those values and your own ethical values, that's going to play an important part on how you plan to move your money around for the rest of your life. The reason why I say education is the best strategy is because once you really understand what money could do for you, however that looks to you, then you'll be able to say, okay, I'm educated enough to know what money can do for me, how I can go about doing it, and the, the things that I need to put in place in order for the, the, to make 
whatever form of living I want to have for myself or my family happen for me and my family. Once you come to terms or a realization of what you saw growing up and how you move about with your own money now, then from that point on, you will be able to say, okay, because I saw these things growing up, repeat myself, but I just want to make sure I hit it home. I saw these things growing up. I don't really want to be in that mindset anymore. Let me change it. Let me educate myself. And now that I have enough education and I'm doing it for myself, then let me be that example to lead it for other individuals in my family, in my circle, um, or anyone else who wants to be a part of that knowledge that I now have. Yeah, yeah, I could I couldn't agree with you more, brother. That's and that's that's what I'm um that's what I've been trying to relate to my to my younger siblings, man, because I got a little brother and I just showed him a chart of just the power of saving just a hundred dollars in the growth stock mutual fund or in an IRA or something like that. With his age, he's only 20 years old. And just the power of saving just a hundred dollars starting that young in one of those type of investments account, he'll be a millionaire by 55, 60 years old. But, you know, it's like, you know, we know these things, but like you were saying, just to piggyback on you, because of how we grew up and the examples that we would show as far as how to deal with money, like we don't do these, we don't, we don't implement these strategies. Right. You know, we would rather, we would rather go and, you know, buy, buy the fresh new J's for that hundred dollars a month instead of saving it. It's, it's just sad, man. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. That's exactly what I'm, uh, um, you know, in the future going forward, let people know, you know, really educate yourself, man, because uh, once you realize the value of money and what you really wanted to do for you, then I, I believe it'll help your behavior with how yeah. you, with how you, with how you deal with money. So yeah, man, that's a, that's a good one, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no worries, man, no worries. All right, so here's what I want to talk about now, man. As I said in the intro, you're the creator of Building Black Wealth, the monthly column in the Orlando Times newspapers. A lot of brothers in Orlando, definitely a lot of brothers need to check you out. You're the creator of that. Where did that idea come from? I mean, I know you have a bachelor's in finance, obviously, but you know, where did that idea come from to say, I'm going to submit a monthly column? Funny story, Um, my blurred or Jalen Christie, he um he's my line brother in the fraternity and because of my knowledge and expertise in what before personal finances um he back in 2020 he uh pitched the idea of me writing a not the column it was before the column i can't really remember uh it was more of an interview rather and from there, once I did that, then he encouraged me to go on Facebook and talk about finances um, and all those other things. Even before I did that in 2020, this is when everything is on lockdown. We can't really go anywhere other than work. I did a lot of financial literacy workshops when I was at UCF. I think during my internship at Fairlands Credit Union, if you're familiar with that here in Orlando, even after I became full-time with them in 2018. A lot of financial literacy workshops with Black student organizations that was always the primary target, as well as being open to speak with other student organizations as well who's not Black. They could be Hispanic, 
Asian. You, you, you got to make sure you play cards right when you're dealing with fairways and certain things because you don't always want to make it seem as if you're targeting specifically Black students and not everyone knows. And because of that knowledge of what I've done and what Jalen saw in me and, and the need for him to be able to see me preach these ideas on my Facebook and, and just thinking about the main reasons why I wanted to do financial literacy after I educated myself on these things, all of these personal testimonies I have for it, I said, okay, I know at the end of the day, my target audience is gonna always be our people, black people, always and forever. Because what I saw growing up and what I know now, I know a lot of the people don't actually have the same knowledge, but they don't have access to the same knowledge or ideals. And because of that, I said, well, I want to be able to make sure I build wealth for a generation or at least instill the knowledge of building generational wealth for us, i.e. building Black wealth. I want to be able to instill all of that knowledge, wherever it comes from, um, to all of you or to others on either my Facebook. Uh, I'm doing it for the state of Florida with my job, um, BBIF, um, just to be able to say that it's not too late to build however generation, generational wealth looks for you and your families. Um, you can start at any point in time and to be able to just give that to them says I'm building black wealth or they can say, or you all can say you're building black wealth. Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for that answer. That was money. Okay. <laughs> wow. When it comes to black people in general specifically black men even though 60 percent of our audience are, is black women where do brothers and sisters go wrong when you know we because i feel like now generational wealth is almost like talking about the new iphone it's just it's a hot topic right now but then when you actually ask brothers are they what are they doing to execute that they're like uh i'm not sure because i may be living paycheck to paycheck it's tough enough taking care of my family with kids. So how can I establish generational wealth if I'm living paycheck to paycheck? You first have to understand how your money is moving, which goes into a budget. If you as an individual, um, speaking for myself as well, if you don't have a budget set for yourself, even with you having kids or if you're in my situation, um, right now I don't have any kids, but I, I have a budget in place. Then from there, you know how you can move your money around after set expenses have been put into place, um, as well as really understanding what discretionary income you have left over after set expenses to be able to either save to really do what you want to do or do your best to find another avenue in either your job or career or something along those lines. Even if knowing that it's super hard for us as Black people to get another job, if you don't have this, 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 and this, and this, up to, I don't, I don't want to say it, but let's just say certain people terms. Um, if you don't have those skill sets, yeah, it's going to be hard. But when you have a budget in place and you understand your money, then you know what you can do, do from there. You know, as we talk about financial literacy in our community, a lot of brothers say, listen, man, you know, I've been paying on this student loan 
for over 12, 13 years, man, I've been, I'm, I mean, I'm only paying a minimum, but that's all I can afford, but I don't feel like it's going away. You know, sometimes they'll go on the website, they'll see student loan forgiveness. Should I sign up? They'll hear the president talking about that. So let's talk a little bit about student loan forgiveness before I let you go, brother. Is that a yep. thing? Because some brothers don't really believe that they can get forgiven for their loans. So is that a thing? Can brothers really get forgiven for their loans? And let's talk about that a little bit. Yes, you can be forgiven for your loans. I'm still waiting on my loans to be forgiven. I mean, just like a lot of other people. Initially, if you work for a nonprofit, um, if you go on the, whoever your loan servicer is, uh, mine is Mohila. Um, on Mohila's website, if you work for a nonprofit for 10 years and you make 120 payments uh, or 10 years worth of payments, and after 10 years, they will forgive your loan. That is a long time, plain and simple. I know I ain't even trying to make payments on my, my student loans that long, but I mean, it is what it is. That's the reality. And then when Biden came out with that plan last year, he made it to where if you make, um, even though it's only like, it may not be the entire student loan, it's like maybe 10 or 20,000, depending on if you got like Pell Grants or something. If you make less than, I forget the salary range, um, and I know it's a hundred plus, um, and you apply for that, then it will or should be forgiven. Now, of course, when he came up with that, all type of people started attacking him, especially, I think the, uh, I'll call them congressmen and women. Uh, I'm not going to talk about these specific parties, but different congressmen and women attacked him and that plan and it reached the Supreme Court, and a lot of people began to sue Biden and his administration because of that, which blocked the, the portion of student loan forgiveness as a whole. And because that's still been on hold for, I think, now up until maybe June or something along those lines, then we don't ultimately know if student loans are going to be, be forgiven. However, what we do know is that there was finally a president in place that said he's going to remove 10 or 20, if you got Pell Grants, of your student loans away. And because he enacted on that, um, it shows that student loans can be forgiven um, either from you working for a nonprofit for 10 plus years and making those payments, or if you fall under Biden's administration plan and him trying to just get rid of that 10 or 20,000. So student loan forgiveness is real. It's definitely real. I definitely get the sentiments on not wanting to make those payments or just making the minimum. By all means, do the minimum. Because believe it or not, your depending on your interest rate, your credit score should go up because you're 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 making those loan payments, believe it or not, and length of time, which is again another conversation that we probably don't have the time for, plays an important part in that. At the same time, I get you not wanting to make no payments because I ain't even made a payment on my student loans yet. And it's only because I'm still in school and they're still being deferred. Okay, yeah, because I hear brothers that are going through this student loan forgiveness process saying, you know, I'm going through the process. Do I still need to make that monthly payment? I get it. I get it. Uh, Yeah, because if you don't, I mean, it's going to affect your credit score um, after 30 days of that that first missed payment. So definitely still make that minimum even while you're going through the process. It's the exact same thing when you've consolidated a loan or you're going through that loan process 
and you're not sure if you should still make the minimum payments or whatever payments that you were making on one or multiple of those loans that you're consolidating. To the business owners, um, your financials says a lot about how your business is operating. And when I say financial statements, I'm not talking about your business bank account. I'm referring to your income statement or profit and loss statement, your balance sheet, and your statement of cash flow. And ultimately, if you are looking for a business loan, you need to be able to make sure you have those three things in place, as well as a business tax return. Because if not, more than likely, no lender is going to want to do any business with that business who doesn't have those three things in place. Mm, great information, man. And last question. Did you enjoy your time on Black Men Sundays, brother? Most definitely, man. It's Black Man Sunday. And I'm like, I, hey, Black Men, we, we hit a toll. That's, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Definitely, man. And thank you for your wealth of knowledge. Thank you for your time. Brother Carlin Johnson working on that master's degree at UCF in business. We appreciate you. We thank you for coming on Black Men Sundays and enjoy the rest of your time, brother. Peace. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a Black Man Sunday.